Welcome to Telltale, the podcast where marketers can learn from interviews with fantastic storytellers. Okay, welcome to episode five of five of Telltale. My name is Kurt Sanders. I am your host, and with me, as always, is Brittany Dreghorn, the Cleopatra of content <laughs> marketing in Brisbane. Yes, I'm something like that. Yes, yeah, I came Definitely up with a new royalty one. Royalty in some age, maybe not this one. <laughs> excellent, excellent. That's good to hear. Um, today, very exciting. We have with us the chief executive of QUT Creative Enterprise Australia, Anna Rook. Welcome. Hi guys, thank you so much for having me. No, Thanks thank for you. coming on. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, coming on Telltale. It's, um, it's really exciting to have someone with so much experience in seeing every single creative startup that probably comes through, not only Brisbane, but probably the Eastern Seaboard and Australia. Wow, that's, that's quite an introduction. <laughs> um, I mean, I certainly am very lucky. I've got an amazing role where I do get the chance to work with lots of very innovative and cool startup companies and you know I feel particularly passionate about the creative industries although I've worked in lots of different um, technology sectors um, in my career but um, certainly we have an amazing talent base particularly in Brisbane in Australia and our role at Creative Enterprise Australia is very much around trying to help I guess sell the story of why this is a sector that matters and how it contributes over $90 billion to the Australian economy, more than mining, more than agriculture, more than tourism, yet most people don't even understand what creative industries are, never know, never mind what it contributes. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. That's, yeah. Let's start right there because that's incredible. It's really, and it's changed so much because maybe that wasn't the case when you started this role just over 10 years ago now, which is incredible. Um, so tell us how the industry's changed and yeah, how you've helped the brand transform in that time. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really lucky because I started, um, I guess, with a new brand when I joined um Creative Enterprise Australia as we brand it now, um, we were really starting from a blank canvas, but we knew that the industry really needed help. And we knew that you know the biggest problem for a lot of early stage entrepreneurs is those first couple of years, you know, really trying to get that idea from um, I guess concept through to reality. So we were able to kind of build programs from the ground up and design initiatives and programs that we thought would make a real difference to the entrepreneurs and the businesses that we were trying to help. So the, the industry in 10 years has just evolved massively. I mean, let's not forget the iPhone, you know, is only a fairly recent addition on the technology block. So that's like completely changed the way that people consume games, listen to entertainment, consume music. So we've seen so much evolution of um, I guess technology fueled creativity in the last decade has just been phenomenal. Probably the other area to talk about as well as the fashion industry. I mean, it's gone through some massive transformation, some good, some not so good, particularly for emerging fashion brands where there's so much more competitive pressure now to kind of, um, I guess, engage a consumer quite early on in your brand. But like we've got massive, um, you know, overseas brands now competing in the retail sector, and for an Australian brand to kind of really compete, then they have to have a kind of a unique edge, and that's part of the work that we do at um, Creative Enterprise Australia is to try and make sure that we do give people that unique edge. 
And I guess it's got to be sustainable as well, hey? Absolutely. <coughs> I actually saw someone from QTCA speak at a fashion sustainability event recently, so you yep. guys are all over it, aren't you? We are. I mean, we're huge advocates of, I guess, really authentic fashion messaging and being really true to your consumer base about how you're producing, is it ethically produced, is it onshore, is it offshore? And, you know, some consumers might be comfortable with the idea of purchasing fashion that's been made offshore, but others might not. And it's about educating the market. So many of the companies that we work with have to do two things. They have to educate their market and they also have to sell to that market. So we've got to make sure we can equip them with both. That segues perfectly into what we talk about here on Telltale around brand storytelling. Um, you mentioned before that these fashion startups and most startups you work with have to have a unique edge because of where we are. Yeah. Um, can you explain to me like how the story behind these startups and behind these, let's call them a few years in as well, yeah. how integral that is to their success and to their growth? I mean, it has to be fundamental. I mean, we, we say really upfront to any entrepreneur that we are gonna work with across any of our programs, whether that's co-working space, whether it's our fashion program or, or even through our investment fund, is that they really, really have to understand their market and they have to know how to communicate with that market effectively. So if they don't get that right in the early stages, then it's just going to go terribly wrong as they grow and they scale. And so we've seen some great success stories um, from some of our companies like Fame & Partners, which is an online um, customised fashion retail um, store where they knew very, very early on that their target demographic was having problems getting the right fit and the right cut, and they did focus groups, and they really made sure that their brand values reflected that if you ordered a dress, it would have the right fit and the cut, it would be customised to you, and then if it, you weren't happy with it, you could send it back, get a refund, no questions asked, because they knew that their audience was sort of like 18 to 25-year-olds who were very socially media savvy, and if, um, if they weren't happy with that customer experience, it would just kill that brand. Totally. That's fantastic. So that's incredible because you're helping all of these people shape their brands, which is what we want to do. But let's have a little bit of a talk about your brand um, because obviously they're coming here because they trust you. Um, you've been doing lots of different things over the years. You guys have accelerator programs. You have a whole range of incredible events. Um, I was talking about Creative 3. We've actually got the big letters in here of the, from the Creative 3 event. I remember getting a selfie in front of that last year. <laughs> That's cool. Um, but tell us a little bit about how you do these things to really engage the audience and shape your brand and also add value for, for them, for your customers. Yeah, I mean, I'll be, I'll be really honest. I think that we've learned a lot. I've learned a lot over the last 10 years. I think originally when we first started out, we were very cognizant of the fact of trying to create consumer brands that were um, very targeted to different industry verticals. And I have to be honest, we didn't always get it right. And um, a lot of people didn't realize that Creative3 was our event, it was our initiative. And so probably about three years ago, we had a bit of a rethink of our branding. And rather than having lots of initiative brandings, we felt that it was really important to bring everything back to our parent brand of QT, Creative Enterprise Australia, and therefore try and make sure that everyone knew that we were sort of like, I guess, the energy and the ideas and the team behind all of those elements, rather than everyone just thinking we were quite siloed. 
So that was a real change to our brand strategy, whereas before we were sort of on initiatives and now we're much more around our parent brand and really trying to make sure that people understand that the reason why we create the programs and the events that we do is really about trying to add value to the whole sector. It's just at different points and at different stages or at different industry sectors. So sure, sure. Um, I guess we learned a lot from that brand journey. Yeah, and, and that's an actually a really important point. Um, and I would say there'd be so many brands battling the silo thing now yeah. because when we moved from the late 90s into the 2000s into now, we've probably used to having the PR department, the marketing department totally. and, the, and all that. And now it's, it's if you have that, you're, you're lost in the woods. Um, the thing I'd love about QTCEA is, is the C3 event. I, I actually find that to be the perfect next phase for someone considering to do business with you and and so can is that a conscious decision to put that in in that sort of phase of, of people who are coming to work with you or is that just a let's add value and hope that we catch the people that come it's a really good question i think um obviously the event has evolved over the last eight years one of the reasons why i set up creative three was because i could see there was a real need to help the industry um i guess be connected to investors and also showcase like truly inspiring stories or journeys of entrepreneurs that had stood in the shoes of the people that we were trying to help, but you know maybe three or four years in advance of where they were at. So I guess um, Creative Three was very much around trying to inspire people and trying to connect people. And over time, we've been really lucky that our audience has really valued the experience and um, we get a really high repeat attendee rate which has been awesome and we've also been in this dilemma you know like do you do you keep scaling an event or do you keep what's special and unique about the event um, which is that sort of intimate conference experience and we sort of took the decision that we would keep it small but bespoke and intimate because if we started to grow the event, you would lose those sorts of networking opportunities and I guess the, um, the opportunity to feel really connected with speakers if you end up with multiple tracks and you know a thousand people in the room. So yeah, we've been really pleased how Creative3 has really evolved and I think that it's a real, it's a real combination of everything that we do but on a very public stage. So it's a chance for us to showcase our talent, companies that we've helped maybe you know seven or eight years ago to kind of have a forward-thinking approach in terms of who are the real thought leaders who's inspiring us who do we think should be inspiring our community and then importantly how people have got the business model to work because that's probably the hardest part of any startup company is you know do you raise finance do you grow it organically you know do you rely on customer revenue is it a combination of all of those and many of the entrepreneurs that we work with struggle with that. You know, what's the right pathway for them? So by shining a spotlight on lots of different entrepreneurs, hopefully it gives them a bit of a direction and somebody that they can relate to. Yeah, and by keeping it more, say, I don't, I don't want to use the word community, but it might be that it is more community-minded or more, you know, niche, let's call it niche. Um, do you find the audience that you attract is of a, like a higher value or, you know, they're, they're the people you actually want to talk to? It, it, well, we try and curate in a way where we still get those collisions of experiences. Um, I think because we offer bursaries for really emerging early stage entrepreneurs to come along, we get some real new entrants to the market. 
Um, but otherwise, we've been really lucky that you know we do get seasoned investors who come from interstate and register and attend, and we do get the local and Queensland community really are really behind the event. So we've sold out every year. Um, we we're in a very fortunate position where um, we've got some awesome partners that help us cover the costs of the event because really we're just interested in the outcomes. It's not a money earner for us. <laughs> this is sure. just about community <laughs> impact. Yeah. If you've got, um, let's just say you've got, well, actually, let's let's talk about it from this perspective. The people that listen to this podcast are generally marketers, PR people, yeah. those kind of, you know, we've got those kind of audiences. Um, what's, what's your key takeaway from an event like C3 for them who are thinking about going, you know what, I need to have an event in my sales funnel or whatever it is? I think you have to be really targeted about everything that you do and I think that you have to be very clear on what the objectives should be of that event, which is sort of 101 stuff for any marketing or PR professional. I think for us, when we started Creative 3, there were no other events that were similar in our vertical, in our space, nobody else was doing it. Now there's probably been a couple of new events um, that have cropped up over the last couple of years, particularly interstate. So you have to stay fresh and you have to revisit the format and the curation every year. So I think it's good for professionals to look at how an event can add value to the customers that they want to engage with because it's a real life touch point and it's a really immersive experience and they can feel really connected to your brand. But you can't kind of rely that every year the format's going to be true and tested and that's what they're going to want. You kind of have to talk to your customers and work out what works. So for us, when we started Creative 3, we had it originally as a three-day event. And over time, our customers were saying, listen, we just can't find three days. It's just too much time commitment. Can we just condense it and make it a really awesome one-day event? So every year we talk to um, a good sample of our delegates to understand what they'll enjoy, you know, what are the areas that they would find of interest for future speakers and topics and also how long because I think that's probably the hardest thing on events is knowing how long people are prepared to invest in that event and of course how much they're willing to pay as well. Yeah sure so speaking of talking to your customers to figure out what they want and yeah. what, what really ignites the passion in them what's one of the better moments of C3 for you? Oh wow <laughs> um, that's a really really good question I think I think for me, probably one of the real highlights has been some of the amazing people that we've managed to persuade to come from all over the world to come and present at our event. And I'll be really upfront and say we're very fortunate because we don't have a, a massive budget to run Creative 3, that all of our speakers have given their time. We obviously cover their costs to come here and you know make sure that they um, come away with an awesome impression of Brisbane. Um, many of them have never even been to Australia before, so for me it's always been amazing to see how many people are willing to give back. So that's probably a common highlight across every year, but um, I think probably one highlight would be um, Michael Fox, the co-founder of Shoes of Prey, who's originally from Brisbane and, you know, originally studied law and, you know, had this incredible idea with his business um, partner to set up shoes of prey and he never had really presented on a public stage before around his journey and transition from being a lawyer to an entrepreneur and I think everyone in the room at that event felt very special that he was so candid and shared that 
learning experience and he was right in the middle of raising their Series B round for Shoes of Prey to allow them to expand into the US. So it was pretty, pretty cool for him to, you know, come back home, share that experience in the middle of this massive capital raising round and, you know, be really willing to inspire mm. other entrepreneurs. And what better time for those entrepreneurs to hear from someone like him when, you know, the, the shoe is potentially on the throat, <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah. And, you know, they've pivoted their business model quite a few times and, um, you know, obviously their partnership with Nordstrom and their massive growth in the US now is really taken their brand to a whole new level. And I think, you know, when you're talking about kind of brand positioning, what they've done has been incredibly clever um, and very forward thinking. So yeah, that would probably be one main highlight. And also Stephen Phillips, another, you know, huge local success story, um, the founder of We Are Hunted, the music discovery platform that got acquired by Twitter. And again, Stephen had never shared his story um, in Brisbane or on a public stage before. And because we're quite, um, I guess, persistent in tracking down unusual speakers that we think are real heroes but haven't really been uh, put on a public stage so we try and curate the people that are not on the speaking circuits and are not doing it for a speaker fee but the people who genuinely want to help inspire others. I think that's really important because you do hear a lot of the same speakers presenting all of the time especially yeah. in the startup space and it's a lot of the same learning so really digging those out. Crucial. It takes us a huge amount of I can time. Imagine, I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but that's the fun of it is, you know, every year we, we see what's happening in, you know, startup publications or mainstream media or Mashable or TechCrunch and kind of see who's really cool and who would be on our wish list. And we're really lucky that most years we get at least one on our wish list. So that's pretty cool. Well, there is one other thing I wanted to ask about. Um, you've been doing a bit of thought leadership. I've seen you commenting on stuff in the media. Um, is that strategic or is that that just comes with your role? Obviously, um, you are a thought leader, but you, you do have to get out there and put your name out there. So you do that really well. Can you tell us a bit about that? Sure. I think it's been a strategic objective for the last two years for CEA to make sure that when there are key issues around you know, changes to the federal budget or um, tax implications for startups that we have been positioning our brand to be seen as you know, an advocate and a thought leader. And so we have put a lot of time and energy and relationship building and you know, finding the right media contacts to help us with that positioning. Because for us, you know, we can do a lot one-on-one -on -one with our community but from a, I guess, a, a personal passion perspective, you know, I'm really keen to make sure that the innovation ecosystem that we have in Queensland and at federal government supports what we're trying to do because otherwise we've got almost like one hand tied behind your back. You're trying to do all this great stuff on a day-to-day -day level, but unless some of the key policies get changed, then that's going to be a massive barrier to us in the future. So it's been very deliberate, very strategic, and it's great that you've seen it, so that's awesome. Yeah, and I guess the thing that makes it stand out is is, is you're not taking a brand perspective on it, you're actually no. taking a personal perspective. So at the moment, there's still brands that are like, you know, big brand X says, you know, we agree or we disagree. That just doesn't cut through for anybody. It's great no. to see a human face on it. And we've done that deliberately and tactically. So, you know, if there are issues that I feel personally very strongly about, even though I'm commenting in my capacity as CEO of QT Creative Enterprise Australia, 
I will probably push that more firmly through my own um, social media accounts than I would through our core CEA one because, you know, some things are more appropriate for me to comment as an individual than um, wearing my CEO hat. Of course. It must be time. It is time. Um, I'm not sure if Brittany warned you, but um, we ask all our guests uh, what is one of the best white lies they've ever told. Oh <laughs> so, um, you know, like we're not asking you to uh, sell the house or anything. <laughs> but um, if, there's anything that, if there's anything that pops to mind, because we find some of the best stories are, are the ones that uh, aren't quite supposed to be out there. But, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the best little white lie. Examples could be something that you held from your mother when you were 16 years old or etc. Oh wow, that's a really tough, it's a good question guys. Um, I don't know, I mean I think probably one example might be um, where my husband and I first moved to Brisbane and um, at the time I was working for um, my UK employer, I was running the UK's first national science city and so I was working crazy hours because I was working you know, effectively hours in the UK, but living in Brisbane. So, you know, it was quite, quite challenging. And we'd been invited to his um, boss's house for dinner. His wife cooked the most amazing meal, like master chef, gourmet standards, just incredible. And of course you reciprocate the favor and they came to our house. And I'm actually a pretty good cook, I will be honest, but I was had worked like crazy deadlines that week. And um, one of our neighbours and I was saying, oh no, I've got my, you know, my husband's boss's wife coming for dinner, what am I going to cook? And um, so I, I, I put my energy into doing the main and did like a really, really good main. But I realised that like I hadn't worked out a really good dessert. So um, there's a really nice little business in Brisbane called Pamela's Pantry on Caxton Street. I know it well. Which yep. does awesome home style cooking. <laughs> And so I have to confess, I did go and buy a dessert from Pamela's Pantry. And, you know, they were saying, oh, this is a beautiful homemade dish. And I was like, yes, it's beautiful. <laughs> I didn't quite profess that I'd purchased it. I this sort of is tried the joke to... that everybody tries to pull but never does. Yeah. And you did it. Yeah, and so they thought this lovely apple pie I'd spent days making. And actually, it was the very talented team at Pamela's Pantry. Yeah. You harvested the apples yeah. yourself from the tree yeah. out the I, back and soaked them for a I, week. I can attest to uh, Pamela's Pantry being excellent. So, oh, yeah. It's just it, amazing. It is food. delicious, yeah. Yeah, so but, that would probably be my, my white lie. So they, they probably think that I'm this pie queen and I'm, I'm really not. So. Um, <laughs> queen of many things, but pie is not it. No, not, not, not that particular deadline week. No. Yeah, fair enough. Anna Rook, thank you so much for talking to us on Telltale. No worries. Thank you guys for having me. No problem. At all. No problem at all. Brittany, thanks for joining us every week. And remember, guys, tell your tale. It's extremely important. Thanks for listening. Telltale is part of the Content Division Podcast Network. You can subscribe on iTunes or stream it from the contentdivision.com.au forward slash podcast.